0: I'm Jody Melman, and this is Backstage with the Bardavon. Our podcast will draw back the curtain and bring you backstage at the Bardavon 1869 Opera House that is located in Poughkeepsie, New York. For more than 150 years, notables such as Mark Twain, Frank Sinatra, James Earl Jones, Mary Tyler Moore, Santana, Aretha Franklin and John Legend has graced its stage. Mary Stuart Masterson's award-winning career includes roles in the iconic films Some Kind of Wonderful, Fried Green Tomatoes, and Benny and June. She has also directed and produced indie films, network television, and documentary theater. As a full-time resident of the Hudson Valley, she and her husband, Jeremy Davidson, have created StockadeWorks.org in Kingston, New York, to provide job training to the local underserved community in all aspects of motion picture production and post-production. Additionally, they have been instrumental in attracting the film industry to the Valley. On April 21st, Mary performed to Elegy to Anne Frank with the Hudson Valley Philharmonic at the Bardevon. Mary, welcome backstage with the Bardavon. I'd like to start a little bit with uh, talking about your career. You've been <laughs> acting since you were a wee child, correct? Seven.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And your first film role?
1: My first film role was The Stafford Wives. Um, my father was cast in the movie. He was an actor before he was a director, and uh, so somehow I ended up in the movie. Um, really a small role, and I was not a natural. Mm. And I was very uncomfortable <laughs> with the whole thing at the time, but um, happy to be there with my dad. You come from an acting family. I do. My mother, uh, Carlin Glynn, uh, was uh, starred in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas that my father co-wrote and co-directed on Broadway. And so I spent all my childhood backstage pretty much (laughs) or at the actor's studio or, you know, um, sort of following in the footsteps of my parents. It was the family trade. After um, The Stepford Wives, when was your next feature film? Um, That's a good question. I mean, I guess the next real job I had, I guess I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really want to be um, a professional actress as a child because I just didn't, it didn't seem like the right life for me. And I also didn't like getting teased because, mm-hmm. you know, kids at school would give me a hard time, beat me up in the elevator, that sort of thing. <laughs> Uh, for having been in a movie, I suppose was my crime. But um, this was in New York City,
0: right? This is New York City. A it was a tough rough, place, man. right? It was yeah. tough.
1: The Upper West Side. Uh, the um, yes, the un, uh, the unmanned elevators, <laughs> um, the Upper West Side. Um, but then I, I did this other movie that was just a TV movie. Again, my dad was in it, and the director came to my parents apartment one morning when I was home from school and sick and offered to make him a gin and tonic I think it was at nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> because my father was indisposed um, when he came to the door so I guess that I guess that might be why I got that job <laughs> um, I didn't make the gin and tonic Okay, I, was ask that. I did not um, and, and but then really after that I was more interested in studying dance and choreography and and all of that, I thought that would be um, really modern dance, the the direction that I would be headed in. And then I just uh, ended up just deciding that, you know, I I really did want to try being an actress, and even as a way into um, exploring story and character and and also directing, because ultimately um, that is my focus now. And what I want to be doing for the last chapter is... Mostly um, directing and producing and writing so it's all it's all part of the same
0: um, the same story really well you've been in some really iconic films <laughs> I think it, whenever we mention your name the first of course you know fried green tomatoes comes up does that hold a special place in your heart oh it does it was a great experience I mean and also I worked that was
1: one I worked on for a year before we started shooting with um, the director who had produced a film that I'd done and asked me to to be in the film and um and so there was a book that it was based upon mm-hmm. and so I read early drafts of the script and worked on the script with him and developed the character and um spent really a, a wonderful process of development on it with with John Avnet and um and then you know it was a great experience shooting the film too so it was beautiful um cast and So it was a great time, and it was interesting because it was shot in Georgia, and we were staying in Peachtree City, which at the time was a new development, and had you know you could ride a golf cart from your condo to the grocery store. (laughs) And I was like, what is going on? But uh, it was no, it was great, and uh, it's amazing what's happened down there in Georgia since for film production. Um, So actually, that's been I've been. Doing a lot of drawing, a lot of inspiration from Georgia. I was going late. to ask you about that,
0: <laughs> but first I want to ask yeah. you about your directorial debut. Oh yeah, the Cake Eaters. The Cake Eaters. Yes.
1: Gosh, all roads lead to the Hudson Valley. I, um, I, for for years, I had written a script that had been optioned a lot of times that I was, was going to direct in in the '90s, and so many times it would come together and fall apart, and come together and fall apart. And this was a romantic comedy set in. Um, in Austin, Texas, and then um, I I went and did a Broadway musical for a
0: year. And... Was that nine? That was nine. And congratulations because you. you you got nominated for the uh, Tony. I
1: did. It was crazy and wonderful. So I did that for a year, and it was a that was a whole other amazing experience. And then I came off of that, and I was like, okay, uh, I'm not going to do this other musical I'm being asked to do. I'm going to finally direct. You know, I'm going to finally do this. Um, and a film that was already financed uh, asked me if I would direct it in the Cake Eaters. And so um, I was, I said, of course, yes. And, uh, you know, um, it wasn't exactly what I thought I would be, the film I would be making as my first film, but I was like, what? yes, sign me up, you know. <laughs> um, and I had a great time. I shot it in um, the Hudson Valley. And in fact, um, I think they were eager for me to shoot in Westchester originally. And um, I just didn't find it. There were things about the story that were already not at that plausible um, in that it was sort of technologically behind that family might not have reached each other by phone or email or to talk about the death of their mom. and. I was like, this has to be a place that isn't suburban or right in the shadow of Manhattan or, or, um, or a bedroom community. You know, it has to be somewhere kind of that feels a lot more rural or a lot more, like, why bother picking up the phone because that person isn't here. You know, um, where
0: where exactly did you shoot? And so
1: um, I was looking around and I scouted all over um, Greene County, Columbia County, um, and some in Ulster, and I. I just landed on Catskill in Green County yeah. and um, at the same time found a house to, to buy in um, Columbia County and um, and ended up filming all in, in those two counties and, and really fell in love with the area. Um, I, was, I was looking for a place that was sort of, that felt remote and rural and country and yet beautiful and it was all those things, but um, upon settling in this area, I realized how how rich culturally it is and um, not as a pl- place people just get away to, um, to have a second home or a vacation or for tourist reasons, but it has its own gravity and its own culture and um, not not that I had the full advantage of taking advantage of that in the film, but, but I, that was my way in, mm-hmm. to wanting to be here full-time.
0: And exactly, had you, had you been up to the Hudson Valley before, or did you just kind of stumble upon us? I had been, well, I
1: grew up in New York City, mm-hmm. and so I was always kind of nearby. I had friends growing up who, um, my best friend's family, had a place in Statsburg for a country house, so I had been there a, a bit, and I'd been to Woodstock for the film festival. Couple of times, but um, I had mostly spent a lot of time in Litchfield County, Connecticut, and so I had been in Lakeville and Salisbury um, for uh, four years, really, uh, and a weekend house. And um, so I came over towards the Hudson River, um, away from Connecticut, and I was like.
0: <laughs> It's a big difference. It really the is. The taxes are higher. Yeah. Tell me about it, yes. <laughs> no. Um,
1: but, no, I, I really, truly love it. I felt like I'd really come home when when I came here. So, um, yeah, for better or for worse. <laughs> You're here,
0: right? <laughs> do you find it convenient for going into New York to do your television shows? Yeah, and? yeah. It's definitely
1: close enough and far enough away. Mm. You know, any closer and, and it starts to feel as though, again, it's, it's a suburb, nothing against the suburbs, but mm-hmm. if you're a freelance artist, you need you need your home base to be where you live, where you work, where you live, all kind of needs to work um, on your off time. And it can't just be, oh, it's close to something else. It has to work on its own. Right. And, right. you know, um, I don't know if that's an articulate way of saying it, but I found that um, the agricultural, Community, the, um, the certainly the the arts and culture that are here, but also the the colleges, you know, uh, the natural beauty, um, everything. It, it has so many resources, and then the train. You're right, <laughs> the right. train makes it easy to get in. I and I always, you know, go I'm on Metro North all the time. It's just easy. It is. You know? It's
0: very easy. It's really easy. It really and, is. And pretty. <laughs> it is, that you know? ride up the Hudson, there's yeah. just, I mean, you get a good sunset, and you are just like sucked into it, you know? Yeah, not to mention I have four
1: children, so to have <laughs> one hour and 40 minutes where I can sit down and <laughs> write or um, think or read a book is, um, is great.
0: So you I had kind of like not having in, Wi-Fi. <laughs> you had four children in a very short period of time, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I did.
1: I have four children in three and a half years. Wow. It is possible. Yeah. And people ask me, did you have like three surrogates? I'm like, no, they all came through my body. I'm not going to go into
0: details. But... And what are their ages? Oh.
1: <laughs> Eight and a half, six and a half, six and a half, and five. You do have your hands full. I do.
0: Wow. I, do. I definitely do. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, was, I was reading about... My voice is about an octave lower yeah. than it used to be.
1: <laughs> are you beekeeping I am, I am. Although we had a bit of a collapse this year, we failed pretty bad. But um, it's okay. Uh, we were doing so well with our first year that they swarmed on the one week that I didn't oh. like keep oh. up. But also, I think they would have anyway. I didn't split them, and anyway, so that's okay. Because if they swarm, they go somewhere else. In, how at how least did you it's learn how to beekeeping? Did
0: you go to oh, the Honey
1: Bees Alive? I know my my friend Larissa Carson can do anything and i rely on her for everything to help me figure everything out so she she's helped me because she's in her third season i guess now of of keeping bees and her mother keeps bees and Mm. so um whether it was canning i went to larissa's mom (laughs) whether it was beekeeping it's an ongoing thing we have to kind of get it going again um yeah we're gonna have some chickens this year the garden is a big part of my life
0: are you, are you planning I'm on being composting. self-sufficient? <laughs> well, yeah, you know,
1: I wish. I wish. That's the dream. Um, the, the composting is sort of on a, on a big scale. I start getting excited <laughs> about the compost. <laughs> it's pretty silly. But it gives me great pleasure, you know. Have you sown any of your seeds yet? Yes. Yes, I have. Beets, carrots, peas, sweet peas, snap peas. And inside, uh, kale marigolds. Tomatoes, butternut squash, cucumbers, and I'm forgetting something. Leeks,
0: and that's incredible. You are my, are my hero. Not really. I live in the city of Poughkeepsie. I can't even grow tomatoes because of the deer. How do? You, what do you oh, do? You've got yeah. fences. Yeah. No,
1: I do have a big tall fence around the garden, um, and I think they probably just get so much food mm. around us. Uh, you know, they're. Yeah, we have, we have a few acres and we're, we back up to cause it's kind of wild land. So I think they probably get, they must get, maybe they're eating the compost. <laughs> You're very lucky. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. Everything else in our, on our property is sort of deer resistant if we want to keep it. Mm.
0: <laughs> and they love the mulberry tree and we don't even bother getting the mulberries because they just eat them all. Well, that's that's one of the things about the Hudson Valley, you know, because there's been so much development, especially in this outside the city of Poughkeepsie. Yeah. we have herds. Yeah. of them in the oh, city. Oh, we have a herd on
1: our property. Yeah, definitely. You know, and yeah. a fox and a bobcat. And yeah, and
0: you know, you're and a lot of groundhogs. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we have those too. Oh gosh. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about a, a film that that you just recently uh, completed, one called Skin. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm fascinated by the subject. It's an autobiography of Brian Widner. Mm -hmm. And he's a skinhead who falls in love with a woman who has three children Mm -hmm. and goes through uh, head-to-toe tattoo removal.
1: Yeah. He was given, um, by anonymous donation from a Holocaust survivor, a $70,000 grant to remove the tattoos anonymously. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful... Stories, you know. That's incredible. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and the producers are Maven Pictures, and they um, came to me and said, "I hear you're you're you know promoting filming in the Hudson Valley. Tell me tell me everything." And so we had a great conversation um, about about you know our, our assets up here and and uh, about Stockade Works, which is my nonprofit that trains people locally to, to do production work. And and they chose to come here, which has been great. So I, I I'm in it, um, but pretty much as a day player. I mean, I basically am barely, in, I'm almost not in the movie. I may not ultimately <laughs> be in the movie. You never know. Um, but I, but I was happy that they shot here, and I was just sort of, you know, available to them as a boots on the ground liaison to whatever they needed. Um, and they're lovely people, and um, I think, I think it's going to be good. It's, uh, you know, it's. It's such a troubling uh, story, uh, uh, such a troubling trend in our world that hate is given such um, room to run free these days. And so, a film like this, I think, is a really uh, visceral, visual um, way of of showing the uh, the horror um, that that kind of hate, you know, is and um, it's it's a well-written script and a director that is Israeli who um, had a short that he made. And this is the feature version of the film.
0: And that was the principal photography was in Kingston? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. From yeah. January to March of this, this year, yeah. correct? Yeah. And were any of your kids from the stockade works yes. involved with the a project? A few of them, yes. A few of them uh, were in the crew.
1: Why don't and you tell so us a
0: little bit about the Stockade project? Because I think that's such a fantastic way <laughs> to to bridge um, the the kids that are unser are yeah, really a part of the uns- underserved population yeah. into the film industry. It's great. I mean, um,
1: we're still really new. Um, we founded Stockade Works in twenty sixteen with um, an eye to um, training people who are uh, normally don't have access to the world of entertainment or production type of work and um our first pilot of our our crew boot camp was last summer on a film that i produced called the rest of us and so um my agreement with the the first time director that asked me to produce the movie was <laughs> sure if you let us run a boot camp she was like well no i want to That's she was as an academic background and she's was very supportive of the whole idea, which was tremendous because it allowed it to happen. Um, so we had 23 people that out of 140 applicants that, that made it to the boot camp, and we did it completely tuition-free, three and a half days of um, general, we call it set like how to behave on set, how operations work, how you communicate, and sort of brought people in who otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity. Um, and we were more than 50% female. We, really tried to find people of diverse backgrounds. Um, We will do more outreach and uh, reach deeper and farther once we are better funded to find more um, and more diverse people. But um, we hope to make it uh, the barrier to entry, not finances and not race and not ethnicity um, and gender or anything else, Uh, but just that you are uh, eager and, uh, you know, um, a great worker. Like, that's the whole point. So it's a three-and-a-half-day program. The boot camp was, and um, followed by hands-on workshops in all departments. And the learning was the trainers were all top of their field. And um, at the end of the process, they, uh, the, the, uh, the trainees and the trainers all... Um, Ranked who they would choose for their department, and then we mixed and matched the best um, combination of yeah. desire with aptitude with um, with what the actual key of the department wanted, <laughs> and um, and we hired everybody onto the movie. And, That's fantastic. Yeah, and we made them a feature-length film in 15 days without overtime, <laughs> and everybody got paid, even the trainees. And so it was, you know, it all worked. And so some of those um, standouts um, happened to be available when this movie came to town and, and worked on skin, as well as a number of other films since the boot camp last summer. Um, so it's great. You know, we continue to mentor and refer them. We're building a database that will be available so that people will be able to find. Um, People that either we've trained or that we can refer, that we know, um, so that it's just easier to locate people and crew up and um, get your resources.
0: What kind of skills were you training the people to have on the set?
1: Well, all different kinds of skills. It's funny, um, the the basic PA level uh, skills of how do you how do you figure out where you go, what is a call sheet? A call sheet is what you have every day when you leave work to know what time you're coming to work the next day, what scenes you're doing in what order, um, people's phone numbers, who's in what department, all the, all the information is on the call sheet every day. Um, but how do you read it? Um, how do you read a script? How do you understand what's, what your department requires of you? Um, What's the chain of command in your department? How do you communicate on set? How do you use walkie-talkies? What's proper channel etiquette? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. How do you um, behave around actors? Um, All those things um, are basic PA level, but it is always done wrong Mm -hmm. if nobody teaches you. The other great thing, the reason why I wanted to have a boot camp and do it this way was because uh, I know that on uh, on films, if you want to, if you want to be a prop master, if you want to be a gaffer, everybody starts somewhere. And if you're a good worker, you're adopted, and nobody will ever let you leave their department. You know, and so you find yourself going, "How have I been holding a boom for the last 40 years?" Because somebody, you know, uh, took you on. And so, in that sense, it's sort of like a guild system, which is why it has this history of looking and maybe even being structurally racist and and uh, um, and sexist, but in fact it's probably more a function of nepotism and which is just as bad. Um, and so uh, so we're looking at all of that and we're trying to examine you know what are those hidden barriers to entry? Um, it may not just be gender it may be people with families can't do those hours or there's no daycare or all the different all the different ways people are prevented from accessing that kind of work people who don't know that they have a career path mm. if they know how to do scaffolding well you could be a grip oh you didn't know that who knows what a grip is you know it's a strange word and so these are the just the kinds of things that we're out doing with stockade works and going to the local trade schools and vocational schools and community colleges and working with all the all the different schools to create curriculum that informs people of what a future could hold, and most people say, "Well, I keep, you're not teaching people acting or writing and directing and producing." I'm like, well, if you're Spike Lee, you're Spike Lee. You know, you're you're going to tell your story. You're going to be a filmmaker. But everybody needs to learn how to behave and how to be a good worker and how to show up on time and look someone in the eye, and all of those things will be valuable regardless. Um, and also. Um, 80% of a crew is what we call below the line. They're those middle skill mm-hmm. or formerly known as blue collar <laughs> jobs and so you know electricians and uh, pipe fitters and drivers and all everybody has a place on a film set but they just don't know it. So um, that's something that we're looking at as a, as a way to be the economic engine for the whole region because it's so well suited to be mm-hmm. because you have a lot of people like me here and you have a lot of uh, people who are need work mm-hmm. and um, you know that after all the the closures of IBM plants and stuff there were a lot of people who lost their jobs and um, there hasn't really been a replacement for that and so um, the we, we were looking at all of this and thinking, well, this actually this could work because in Georgia, uh, there was a, a comprehensive, coordinated effort to get film production increased down there, and they went in two thousand eight from two hundred and fifty million dollars in local economic impact from film and television production to seven billion. And in, that's incredible. In two thousand sixteen, that's incredible. In eight years, so the point is, it, it's not because Georgia is got it's like Hollywood. It's got nice weather mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean it's a great place I'm not knocking it mm-hmm. um, and they did a great job but it's a good inspiration for us like we're so close to the city mm-hmm. we have all these resources you know so we're figuring it out we're trying to a lot of different ways but
0: what about tax, excuse
1: me. one is training one is taxes on, ins-
0: and tax incentives aren't you working on that as well? Yeah yeah for a couple of years um,
1: I, I was advocating for an increase. In the tax incentive locally the the state has this tremendous tax credit program of 40% um, what they call below the line which is all of the crew um, spend is eligible for 40% percent re- fully refundable credit which is a lot of money because a lot of labor is the biggest cost on a film
0: is that film tel- and television yeah. production as well yes
1: Um, And post-production gets up to 45 percent, which is huge, incredible. Although there are a couple of exemptions that, that you know, for um, what's called unscripted or documentaries. So that seems strange because they spend the most time of anybody in the editing room. But (laughs) that's next year. (laughs) But um, so yeah, it was 30 percent, and uh, some counties to the north of us got an extra 10 percent to further incentivize those areas to production because they were seeing that 98% of the incentive was being captured in the city of New York. And um, and <laughs> so I just got involved in um, trying to change that so that we could also get that extra 10% to get attention because it was like our region was um, the donut hole. <laughs> we were being there was a lot of independent production, and that continues to be the case, and quite a bit more, three times as much as there was since the tax incentive, which is great. Yeah. But television production is going to require um, continuing to scale up facilities and crew and uh, agreements with unions to allow us to work uh, up here without commuter fees and stuff like that. So we're working on all that now, but it—it um, it is... It is something that just takes a long time and a lot of planning, but there was some misunderstanding that the upstate uh, counties were not going to benefit from this, that only New York City would benefit from this. Even if New York City is the only beneficiary, it still benefits the state with just a huge amount of revenue and jobs created in New York City. But it doesn't make sense for it all to be in the city because it's, it's just over... It's bursting at the seams, um, and even all the sound stages are full. So, and with waiting lists, hmm. so it's just
0: it's sort of time for, for the upward migration. Right. <laughs> um, well, you have you have an idea about the upward migration in Kingston, don't you? Yes. And you're. I was just reading today that. Um, the metro project mm-hmm. is very close to reaching fruition, isn't it? You just received a big grant. Yes. Or RUPCO received a big grant. Yes.
1: Yes. so no, we we um, applied together for two years in a row for ESD grants of for for um, the space in Kingston of a seventy thousand square foot uh, former warehouse that uh, will be turned mostly into a com- com- the community community facing aspect of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. The um, the theater, the post-production, the co-working spaces, the production offices, storage for film-like things, a black box theater, mm-hmm. um, event space, you know, a way to bring people in and train and build media literacy and community uh, in the community of Midtown Kingston. Um, the uh, the other project of the future is also larger scale sound stages that will be elsewhere. Um, and um, Separate from all of this, I have a production company uh, in, so that I can actually make a living. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> None of this pays me, by the way, so I need to start uh, actually making a
0: living, writing,
1: directing, and producing again. <laughs> and is that Storyhouse? That is nope.
0: That's not even the, okay. It's <laughs> something else. Story so tell us about your production company and some of the some of the projects you're working on. Well, um, I'm I'm this year I'm, I'm launching
1: Quality Pictures, which with my uh, writing partner Alexander Brodsky and. Um, we're going to um, d- just make a whole slate of m- moderate budget features um, for television. And uh, we have a series we wrote together um, about extreme parenting at an advanced age. Um, and then um, Story Horse Documentary Theater is um, a project that I, my husband, Jeremy Davidson, and I started a few years ago. And in fact, we had our... Um, our um, we premiered our first project with Story Horse called The Little Things Here at the Bardavan, um two years ago now. And um, love the Bardivon, love Chris uh, and Stephen and everybody here. And so um, that project is a multimedia story project that is all about Hudson Valley mm-hmm. stories, whether they are historically based or present day issues. One was about Lyme disease and one was about sustainable agriculture and one one we just did was about the unsolved murder of Frank L. Teal, the surveyor of Dutchess County, and uh, from nineteen forty-nine. And so and one is about slavery and race in Dutchess County. So they're, they're sort of issue projects that are that are documentary theater. And how would someone submit an idea to you? Well, Storyhorse theater dot or .org, actually. We changed it. (laughs) (laughs) It it takes um, submissions, but mostly they just come from us. Um, And, uh, yeah, and Stockade Works also has a website. There's a lot of information
0: there, stockadeworks.org, and you can donate if you're interested. Yes, it's a 501c3. There you of, go. So people two can, months ago. So people can contribute and help you on your, your journey. And speaking of journeys, your journey is going to be coming to the Bardavan Yes. this Saturday night. Yes, I'm and excited. Yes, and you're going to be doing the Elegy event of Anne Frank. Yes, I'm I'm very um, happy to be
1: here at the On. I think the programming here is always uh, so strong and innovative and... Um, I was listening to uh, the music a moment ago, and <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, they
0: were tuning up in the background as we were trying to start. Yes, yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's wonderful. Philharmonic's it's,
1: wonderful. They're they're wonderful, and I'm I'm just happy to be a very small part of um, supporting their vision, really. And um, and Frank, I mean, I I can't say I'm performing Anne Frank. I am I'm fortunate to read her very inspiring
0: words. And it's 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 a wonderful it's a wonderful program. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's going to be a little bit of John Williams and a little bit of um, oh, uh, not Spruck's Zarathustra, It slips my mind. Um, oh, Valkyries, the play yeah. of the Valkyries. It's going to be an interesting program. Yeah, should be a lot of fun. I can't, I, wait. I can't wait. Here. I can't wait to hear it. I just got here. <laughs> well, we're so glad you could join us here. Thank you. And uh, again, uh, we wish you all luck with your projects. Thank you. And keep in touch with us. And too, too many things yeah, right now. Us. Oh, really? Just do you sleep? And you've got, you've no, got four children. No, do you sleep at all? No, that's why I might as well be doing something productive. <laughs> <laughs> children do make you more productive, don't they? Yes. <laughs> again, thank you. Mary Stewart Masterson. Thank you. Thanks again to Mary Stuart Masterson and the Bardavon 1869 Opera House for hosting our Backstage with the Bardavon podcast. Backstage with the Bardavon is produced by Patrick Watson and Jody Melman. Sound engineering and editing is by Ben Harris. Thanks again for listening and see you next time Backstage with the Bardavon.